Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. And you can check out our course platform at onecommune.com, where you will find programs from Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, Russell Brand, Wim Hof, Brendan Burchard, Adrian Mishler, and many other brilliant personal development and wellness luminaries. Our courses span yoga, meditation, spiritual development, functional medicine, recovery, and social impact. Essentially, everything you need to be holistically well. Just go to onecommune.com. That beautiful music you heard up front is created by today's guest, Geraldine Glass, with her crystal alchemy singing bowls. These bowls are struck or rimmed with a mallet and produce these deep, resonant frequencies that induce states of relaxation. Geraldine plays these bowls in a wide range of venues, from concert halls to cancer centers. She has dedicated her life to healing through sound. However, this is not remotely where Geraldine's career started. Today's podcast is her story. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I grew up in Los Angeles and uh, studied here, and I started studying singing when I was 11. I sang a solo in the sixth grade, and um, people said to my parents, well, what are you going to do? She's, she's talented. And um, my mom took me to a neighbor who was the voice of Ava Gardner in Showboat, Annette Warren, and she dubbed all of Lucille Ball's movies, and she is 97, and if you heard her sing today, you would never guess her age. It's incredible. And um, so I started studying with her and she taught me a very natural, holistic technique of breath support. And my dream was to be on Broadway. And so I, I did that. I moved to New York and auditioned. And very quickly, I had my first national tour, which was Showboat. And then the 25th anniversary revival of My Fair Lady, starring Rex Harrison. And I was the youngest in the cast, and I got to play Rex's upstairs maid. And uh, it, was, <laughs> it was really a dream come true. We traveled around the United States, and um, it was a year and a half. And it was a glorious beginning of a career for a young person. And you went to Juilliard, is that right? Mm-hmm. So then when that was over, uh, I was working in New York and one of my pianists said to me, you know, your voice is really kind of going more and more classical in sound and, you know, musicals are going more in the direction of pop and contemporary sound. Let's look at some material. And I had studied some Italian art songs and famous things like the Carmen Segadia when I was younger with, with my teacher Annette. But I really began to explore classical music, and I applied for a, a program in Italy, and I got accepted, and that was it. Then I uh, applied to Juilliard, and I decided to really change paths, and it all happened fairly quickly. 
I began, I went and uh, won a couple of contests and then ended up being accepted in the Zurich Opera Studio Program. So I left New York and went to Switzerland. And it was kind of an apprentice program where you began by performing smaller roles in the big uh, main stage productions and then graduated to bigger things. So that's where my opera career pretty much started very quickly. And I ended up staying in Europe for quite a number of years. And then you also then became very involved in uh, musical education, if I'm correct, uh, particularly, you know, helping kids learn how to, to sing. Um, can you just, I, I remember we talked a little bit about that uh, when we spoke a few days ago, but can you, um, can you describe that a little bit more? Yes, thank you. You know, I grew up in a family where um, there was five kids and my parents were very instrumental in instilling in us this sense of responsibility to whatever your talents were to give back, to be of some kind of service. And so when I recognized that I was going to be living in Germany, I ended up marrying a German and um, that I was going to be living there, I decided I got this really strong feeling of this word legacy. And I felt like I wanted to leave some kind of legacy that was based on our American values of um, service and joy in our work and and um, the support of everybody and kind of in a community. And so I started a, a kids foundation called Kids for Kids World Foundation. And the premise was that we would put together a team um, of about 20 kids every year and we'd build an original production around their talents. Every child brought something different. Um, one played the harp, one played the flute, one was a good singer, one was a tap dancer. And every year we'd hold these very creative auditions where we'd ask them to improvise things and then we'd create a team and that team became a family and we wrote um, a piece for them. So um, one was called Pharaoh City, a, a, a place a place without grown-ups that I'm translating from the German. So the whole idea was that music is the common language. Music is the vibration that holds us all together. And that in spite of our differences, we could create something extraordinary together. And then the money we would raise, which was about $30,000 every year, went to fund our own music therapy program that we created where local kids could get music therapy without too much rigmarole, you know, um, someone who had lost a parent or a sibling. Mm, beautiful. And did you, you had a son of your own at this juncture already or no? Yes, he was, um, he was seven at the time. And I have to say that he was attending an international school where there were 45 nations represented. And so that was also part of the inspiration that, you know, whether you, spoke Swedish as your native language or Japanese or um, Finnish or whatever it was, we could always come together through music. And a lot of the language, obviously, we used was English, but a lot of it was German. And, you know, we would teach the kids the songs in the different languages. And um, so he was a great motivator for the beginning of this Kids Foundation. And he loved to participate in it. And, um, yeah, he was quite an inspiration for starting it. Right. And so can you 
elaborate on the inflection point that then brought you more into your current incarnation um, with the uh, with the singing bowls? Yeah, so I also was teaching at the Munich Conservatory at that time, and and so in combination with that and the Kids Foundation, sometimes I would use the singing bowls, which I had I had purchased about 14 years ago. And I had heard them with my mom when we were traveling in the Southwest. And they really were like, when I first heard the sound, it was so pristine and so pure. It was like they were singing something my soul knew. That's the only way I can really describe it. And I just said to my mom, I, I've got to buy a set of these bowls. And so I did, and I took them back to Germany, and I began to use them with the students. And my son loved them. He'd say, Mommy, bring me to bed with my sound blanket. You know, so I'd take one of the bowls in my hands and be next to his bed and play and lead him in a little prayer or meditation, and he'd fall asleep. So the bowls began to be a part of my daily life in a way that was new to me. I had never done any sort of sound healing. And like if a student had a, a blockage in their voice when I was training them, I'd ask them to choose one of the seven bowls. So there was C, D, E, F, G, A, and B. And if we talk about that in terms of energy medicine, those are the notes of the chakras. And so a young person would choose, let's say, a D, and there'd be a certain blockage in their, in their system, and they'd start to play that bowl and tone with it or hum with it or sing part of their song with it, and the blockage would dissipate. You know, I knew as an opera singer that sound was such a profound medium and that when I could use my own body to vibrate and then be the amplifier that it was, it was profound for me and could be for the, the listener. And so to experience an instrument like the bowls also getting amplified and having profound effects, that was, that was really cool. It was the entry into sound as a medicine, I guess. But um, every year the kids and the Kids Foundation would enter a, a contest in Germany that was either for their instrument or for voice. And my son entered it uh, when he was just turning 13 and he made it to the semifinals. And he had to do a little program that included um, It Don't Mean a Thing by Duke Ellington and um, a Rogers and Hart song and a couple of original songs that we wrote for him. And one week before semifinals, he walked in the room and he goes, Mom, 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 <laughs> my voice. And his voice has started to do its change. And at that point, I hadn't, um, I hadn't walked any young person through their voice change. And I spoke with a, a well-known tenor, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's possible. And just he gave me a few tips of what to do. And I did those things, and my son's name was Dylan. And so I asked him to choose a bowl, and he, he loved this very little bowl that was the note of a G, which is the note of the throat chakra. And it was citrine. And citrine, as you know, is yellow. It has to do with the solar plexus. It's um, helping your confidence and your strength of will and your courage. And that's the bowl he, he loves to play. And so we worked with that bowl for the week before his audition and his voice stayed open and he stood up to do his performance and said, hello everyone, my name is Dylan and since one week I'm no longer soprano. <laughs> everybody started laughing. <laughs> and I was, I, I was blown away how that, you know, young man could stand there as you know and do a program with his voice in such a vulnerable 
vulnerable state with great confidence. So that was kind of a very special connection that we both had with the bulls. And so when I fast forward and say to you that five years ago in 2015, in March of 2015, when, um, this whole world began to shift and I began to come into this world of really using sound as a healing modality. It came because I I lost my boy. He passed away. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, there's, there's just, there's no words. There's no words for the grief and the shock and the disbelief and all the things as a parent, you know, you go through because you, you say the normal thing is if you lose a, a parent, you will lose your past and you lose a partner and you lose your present. But if you lose a child, you lose your future. And, you know, needless to say, I mean, there were just no words. And yet the night that he passed away, I walked down to the ocean here in south of the airport and was with a dear friend who was actually on the board of the Kids Foundation. He had lived in Germany with me, an actor. And he came and stayed with me and we both looked up at the sky at the same time. And there was this huge shooting star that seemed to start over my parents' house, cross the LA basin and land in the mountains behind Hollywood. And I could hear this sound of just a whoosh. And I could hear Dylan's voice. He was, he was, he was big. He was six, three and 230 pounds. He ended up playing football and um, I could hear him. Mom, Mom, I made it. It's like we always talked about, you know, referring to our little meditations in this sound blanket. I'm home. I'm with God. And it was like, what? Like both Peter and I, it was as as if Peter heard that too, the whoosh and the whole everything, because we just looked at each other. And for me, that was the beginning of this journey of energy and sound vibration and um, a path that has absolutely changed changed my life, and yeah, he he began to continue to communicate with me through sound, through light, through signs, and I noticed as time went on, when I was really sad and sitting in the grief, I couldn't find him, but when there was some way that I found to elevate myself, I could feel him. And so about six weeks after, I knew that I couldn't go back to the university I was teaching here at Chapman, and um, I had to change my life up. I could never pretend that it was going to be the same. I had to just change it up. And the first thing that I did in, in communicating also with him, it was like, Mom, you know, we're going to Machu Picchu, and that had been on our bucket list. We had traveled because he was also a ski racer. We had been to many high peaks in the world and we had seen Mount Everest. One of his best friends was from Nepal. And so we had talked about going to Machu Picchu and he just said, we're going. And I'm like, okay, who are we going to go with? And I'm imagining, no, this trip was a shaman. And I opened the computer and I Googled spiritual journeys to Machu Picchu and Dr. Sue Mortar came up and I didn't know her at the time. And I thought, okay, great. You know, this is a beautiful blonde haired, blue eyed doctor from Indiana. But I said to him, Dylan, like, where's the shaman? And I could hear him say, mom, she is the shaman. That's who we're going with. And 
that trip changed everything too. And what happened there was I gave her his, his, a little picture of him and she took it to the top of Wanapichu and did like a, a ritual and a celebration for him. And they took a little video and pictures. And when they came down the mountain, she said, you've, you've got to see this. And there was a picture with his little picture in her hand and there's a beam of light coming from his throat. So of course for me, that was just like, oh my gosh, like that's the citrine bowl that's at his throat. That's, and there were so many synchronicities, Jeff, that um, that was kind of the beginning of this realization that my healing, I guess, was going to happen through sound. I mean, I didn't really know it then, sound and light. And then about three months after that, I really fell in a pretty deep hole. And he said to me one day, Mom, call the bold dudes. <laughs> call the bold dudes. And it was like insistent. And, you know, he had a great humor. We would laugh a lot. I mean, laugh ourselves silly. But he was insistent, Jeff. Mom, call the bold dudes. And I was like, right, I'm grieving you. Would you leave me alone? But it was, it didn't stop. And so I finally called the, the company Crystal Tones and spoke with one of the owners and told him, I'm sitting here and I, you know, my son is telling me to call you. And that's how this journey began. Wow. That, that's an extraordinary story. Had you had, um, and I suppose for people hearing it for the first time, it's almost incredulous. Um, I mean, had you had what I might call mystical or epiphanous or celestial experiences prior I mean, to such, this? Yeah, it's such a good it's such a good question. I mean, I know when I was little, I'll never forget. We lived out in the San Fernando Valley, and I I remember twirling around on our front porch, just you know, twirling around this post and singing. And I was, I think, three or four and remembering how good that felt and just feeling this sense of, oh, that's what you're going to do with your life. You're going to do that. Mm. And so I think there always was a connection for me to whatever you want to name it, universal intelligence, God, spirit, the divine, the cosmos. Mm. Um, so, yes, I was aware of when thoughts or intuition or things would suddenly be in my mind that, that I, I would take it as a communication. So it wasn't strange, but again, it was strange because we're talking about death and it's like, that's something you don't talk about. And then you don't talk about it, your child. And it's like, this can't really, yeah. but I could hear his voice again. It was a really big, strong and a very beautiful sound. I can, I can to today. I mean, I hear it in my head. Yeah. And I guess the name for that is Claire Audience. But, um, and through Dr. Sue's work, you know, it took me a long time, Jeff. It wasn't immediate. And the, the grief process was pretty excruciating, as you can imagine. Um, but I began to understand, A, we're made of energy. And that energy gets compressed in human form. And it becomes sound vibration. And every cell in our body is vibrating. Every organ has a, has a vibration. And when we are feeling dis-ease, we're out of harmony. And so if you can tune your body, we can come back to health and wholeness and we come back 
into this connection with our true self. And so I began to really understand more about that. And then I, when I spoke with the owner of Crystal Tones, I ordered 11 bowls. And, you know, because people will ask me all the time, well, how do I know what bowl is for me? And what, you know, there's so many beautiful alchemies. I didn't really put two and two together in terms of notes and, oh, I need to have something for my heart. I didn't think like that. I just thought, what are the alchemies that could possibly connect me to Dylan? So I chose celestite. I chose selenite, which is grounded white light. I chose ruby. I chose rose quartz. And these were the bowls that came. I ordered 11 bowls. And when I started to work with them, everything changed. I was able to process my grief in a way that I hadn't been able to cry. And they just held this sacred space, this kind of container to feel in a way that I had not been able to feel. And so as I began my own sound healing journey with me being the, the one, it, I was able to translate that then. I began to work with cancer patients and other people with grief, and it changed everything. It changed everything for me to be in service to others, and it, it began to move my grief beyond what I could have conceived because I was doing talk therapy like six hours a week, and it was bringing some kind of relief, but it wasn't embodying. It wasn't lasting. It wasn't making an impact that I felt different when I woke up in the morning. Yeah, yeah wasn't somatic, perhaps. I mean, yeah. you said, you know, when you lose a child, you lose your future. Kind of ironically, it seems like Dylan provided you with a future. I know you're right on. He'll say to me that. He'll go, Mom, we have a future. Like, get it, Mom. <laughs> hmm. We have a future. It's just different than we imagined. And I think what I learned with Dr. Sue was that if we can look at everything in our life, everything that happens in our lives as really for our unfolding of our true self, for really helping us to open to our true purpose. But, you know, if someone had said that to me one year in, I would have slapped them. Yeah. You know, it was like, don't you dare. That, that, how can you say that? You know, it doesn't make sense. And I begin to understand now, like, Mom, it's a different relationship. I'm not gone, and we get to do this hand in hand so that when I play the bowls and make music with them or simply lead a meditation, I feel immediately this connection to this high vibration of love. describe a little bit of what the experience is like to actually play the bowls um, and how they're struck and how they create kind of vibrational resonance um, and then also kind of what the experience is like to be the audience to listen to them. Yeah, so there's a, a number of different ways you know, there's a, the, the normal wand is made of rubber and suede. 
And so you can tap and you can make melodies with them. You can make beautiful chimed notes or you can do a swirling technique where you hear slightly the, um, it's almost like a bow on strings. You can hear slightly the, um, the bowing of the bowl. And then there is another technique that's actually called bowing where you bow the side of the bowl like a, um, like a bass, like a violin, like a cello. So there's three different ways that you can play them. And when we work with using the, the, the wand in a clockwise manner, you can in, work with an intention of bringing certain energies in. And when you work with counterclockwise, then you are working with bringing energies, moving energies out of your body. And it's, you know, at the beginning, I thought all this is, come on, like, here's this classical musician, and it's, this, is, this is out there. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think I said that too. I would say to my mom, mom, like, here's this, you know, here's this classical musician and professor, and I'm playing these crystal alchemy singing bowls, and I'm communicating with my son. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not that. I must be, like, pretty weird. And she was like, no, dear, you know, and you're helping people. And it just, you know, it took off from there and um so that's sort of the technique for playing it yeah and then we have all can, these different can i ask you albums. one more question about sure. that because um you know i think I, I have some experience listening um to singing bowls and it's kind of being enveloped in those cascading waves of sound um but i've never really associated it with um, melody per se, but you actually have a pretty sophisticated approach just given your classical music background where you're using the bowls as actually tu in, in a way that's tuned. And my only, um, my only kind of silly uh, metaphor for it would be like if you fill beer bottles up to different levels of water, you know, different levels of beer or a wine glass with different levels of wine or, or water, they take on an actual tune or a, an actual yeah. n note. And you're actually treating the bowls in a very sophisticated musical way that I've never seen before. Can you just talk about that just for a minute? Yeah, you just made me smile because I'm remembering um, I, I did a, a big show in the Munich Philharmonic and there was a guy that part of the show it was a New Year's Eve show that we ran three years. Um, there was a, a young man from Russia that had wine glasses and they were filled and he played, you know, he played his music with the wine glasses. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you can you can liken it to that. But there's just there's something beyond. So hmm. often I'm working with these sacred ratio of the interval, the musical interval of the fifth. Mm -hmm. And um, that is what Pythagoras calls, you know, this sacred ratio. There's so much we can do. I mean, yes, I can just swirl them and I can give you just an incredible swirl of the sound. But something else happens in the structure of someone's body when I start, let's say, by playing a low C. And then I'll play a G above that. Then I add a C above that and a G above that, and then a C above that. So like if I'm using three octaves of a C, it's going to do something to the system that's so stabilizing, and people are able to really drop in. And again, in that place where your mind is stilled, and you begin to experience 
your soul or a bliss connection or just deep relaxation where your body begins to regenerate and renew um, pains that you had been holding, physical pains. So often people's physical pains just dissipate. They're, they wake, wake up from the sound bath and they're gone or from the concert or people have deep experiences. So part of it, I think, does have to do with the order that you play in, the structure of how you um, construct, like what I'll say, my bowl orchestra, you know, um, what notes that I'm playing. And then you add on top of it the alchemy, which is that's the magic. So like if I'm playing a C and it happens to be rose quartz, let's say, it's working on grounding you working on your rooting but at the same time that rose quartz is really working on opening the heart maybe helping to soothe some of heartache or heartbreak so you've got these subtle multi-level multi-dimensional layers that are happening with these gemstones and that's what makes the bowls very different let's say from the tibetan bowls or the gong um, because our bodies are crystalline in structure and the cells, and so they're able to absorb these vibrations really, really easily. Mm. So, and then it's nice, you know, like if you start, let's just say, for example, I like to sing Amazing Grace with the bowls, you know, so you put this pad under it, and you get this sense of people really, again, dropping in. They come out of their thinking mind. I mean, it's what music can do in its highest form anyways, but with these all these crystalline sounds and this amplification of different gemstones. And then you put something like traditional, like Amazing Grace on top of it or Ave Maria. It's, it's a sublime experience. It's very different, can be very different for people. Hmm. So when you're working with people that have, that are dealing with a lot of trauma or potentially a physiological disease like cancer or other chronic disease, what is the impact on those people when you bring the crystal bowls to them? So, for example, there was one time that there was a lady that came to me after meditation, and I'm volunteering at the Cancer Support Community, so it's a national organization for anyone and their family members who have had cancer or have cancer and um, everything is offered for free and it's all kind of alternative things. And that's where I got out of my bed and said, okay, I'm going to do something. I, I need to serve and do something in order to just get out of my own pain. One lady said to me, she said, I've been meditating in the traditional meditation manner for 28 years. And she said, I have never meditated with sound and I cannot even put into words what I experienced. But she said she had stage four cancer. She said, I believe that I've heard the sounds of heaven. And she said, all I can say to you is that I I am no longer afraid of dying. Mm. Um, Other people have said to me, what's that bowl? And I'll say to them what note it is. And they'll say, Oh my goodness. So, you know, the note, let's say would be a D and the D is in the, the lower, the lower abdomen area. That's just where my cancer is. And when you were playing that bowl, I could feel inside my body, this kind of tingling and twitching. So it's, it's not a one size fits all, but people have 
just very profound. I had one woman who, it's happened twice, where someone who had their breast removed just came to me after crying and said, my, my breast, I could feel where the energy was back. I could feel I was whole again. There was something that happened to me in the sound where I could feel myself whole and complete again. So with the cancer patients, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And it's, I would have to say to you in the end that what's grown over the past four years has been a circle of love and that they understand that they're going to be held in these vibrations that they feel safe for that moment. Their fears get to, get to be alleviated in that moment. Um, and they drop into a deep place of peace. And that's really where healing can happen. You know, when we get out of that fear and anxiety and all the things, the stories that the mind makes up and how, it, how it'll take things um, and, and even distort them, they come into that place of stillness and peace where healing really can happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing with cancer patients. Um, I had one experience where I was playing a lapidolite bowl, and it was a big 12-inch bowl, so it was a very deep, it was actually a deep G. And the G is, is really the deep rooting, so it's kind of your, it's, it's your legacy. It's your deep rooting while you're here. And lapidolite is a, uh, a natural form of lithium. So we use that often with when people have bipolar or they have um, mental imbalances. And in this case, this woman, I, have, I was playing 20 bowls. She came up to me afterwards and she said, what is that bowl? And I said to her, it's lapidolite. And, you know, how are you feeling? And she said, also, I can't begin to tell you. She was crying. She said, my, my sister was murdered a year ago. And she said, I have not been able to experience any sense of peace of mind. And she said that bowl just kept the resonance from that bowl as if it was just wrapping me in its arms, the sound in, in, in arms of a loving presence. And I feel something happened. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of that place when you ask me about the, the mystical or the, it's that place that when I was playing the selenite bowl, which is grounded white light, selenite is a, a really powerful beautiful stone, um, I could feel my son. I could feel his presence. I could feel a misty white substance with me, and I could feel him guiding me how to open my body to really feel and express that grief. So that's the the thing with the alchemies is so incredibly profound and different for everybody. The last thing that I'd want to ask you is... um, you know, you have found meaning in your suffering and tremendous purpose to your life. Um, how would you counsel others looking to manage traumatic events in their life and find a sense of meaning? Also great question. Um I think the most important thing, Jeff, is that we aren't afraid to feel. And I wanted to run from those feelings. It was like, just, God, do anything, but just take them away. 
they're unbearable. Like you don't know what to do with yourself. The grief is so intense and whatever it is that people are experiencing that, you know, for all of us can be so intense that you just, you want to bypass it. You don't want to have to go in there. And I think what sound did for me, these, what I named them sacred sound, is it really created a space for me to drop in in safety. And then I could work with my breath. I could feel that grief. I could growl it out. I could yell it out. I could weep it out. And it began to transform. And I think I had shared that with you that um, I remember the first time getting up from like working with the sound for about an hour and really just feeling this complete freedom. Um, and, and that would be an important thing that to work with sound and feel a freedom to feel and to express that when I went to wash my face, I couldn't believe that there was light in my eyes. Like I actually saw the physical transformation that I felt safe enough to go in and feel the unfeelable and the sound actually transformed it. That was, that was mind blowing. And so I guess I'd say to people like use that, which is part of the reason why I made the uh, these these things on the YouTube channel, Crystal Cadence, called Tune Up Tuesdays. And I took different sets every week, and we've been doing it for about a year and a half now, just that people could have this whole library of all these different bowls and all these different notes. And we didn't talk about, like, the tunings, you know, am I playing bowls that are 432 hertz or 528 hertz or the tuning of music today, 440 hertz. Am I playing binaural beats that people could have this library on the YouTube channel that they could say, okay, tonight I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep with that. Or tonight I'm going to put these 15 minutes of sound on and I'm going to have a good cry. Or I'm going to just see if I hold the area in my body, let's say where the back pain is, where the, um, where the cancer is feeling, where I'm feeling grief over my divorce or, um, my child is struggling, um, whatever the things are in our lives, um, if I can bring my attention and my loving presence to that part of my body and breathe in there and let the sound hold me in there and just feel and just feel and direct my breath in there, it melts. It begins to shift. And our thoughts about it, again, back to quantum science, our thoughts about it begin to change. It's like it's not as heavy as it was. Um, our consciousness begins to raise. And in the process of living our lives, you notice this doesn't trigger you anymore. You notice that doesn't hurt you anymore. You notice you're not attached to that anymore. And it's not like it's necessarily from one moment to the next, but I would just begin to see, like, even with my mom, like, sometimes she'd say things that I'd just go, oh, really? And it was like, she could say whatever she wants to now, and it, <laughs> it just doesn't trigger me ever. Yeah. I can just look at her fully with love and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and the other thing is I love to train. So part of these crystal alchemy sound ball trainings is exactly to, you know, we have um, psychologists in there. We have a, a Jungian therapist. We have nurses, um, yoga teachers, just people from all different uh, emergency care people, people from all different walks of life and profession that, are wanting to integrate this also for their in their job or with their clients. And it's so beautiful to guide them in a way that they feel anchored and rooted and strong and steady that they can use their personal alchemy 
to play their roles and, and give people a sense that we can take our health back in our own hands. We can transform things that really bother us, you know, certain patterns of thinking, uh, behavior. I'm remembering one young lady now during the COVID, she has a set of four bowls and she's 23 and she works at a hospital in Stanford, Connecticut. And she wrote me and she was thrilled. She was like, Carolyn, grown men that I've been working with for over a year, grown men, they love my sound bowls. And she said, and, and they're asking me, can I play those every night after work? And, you know, they felt a sense of peace and relief and calmness and just noticed that their stress yeah. was reduced. Yeah. yeah. So, and then just one, one funny thing is that uh, one client in Canada wrote me yesterday and she, you know, during this time also, she's making recordings for her, of her bowls and sending them. And this was a client in, in, um, in Europe. And she said, my client wrote me and said she's been married many years, but her and her husband had the most intimate evening after hearing her sound bowl meditation that they've ever had in their life. <laughs> so I was like, I get, yeah. so then the bowls. Give me also, her, give me her number <laughs> if you don't mind after the, after the podcast. <laughs> there I'll you make go. one for you. <laughs> Aren't you just, we were laughing so hard and we were saying, okay, then the, Christophany bowls also improve your loving ability and your ability to enjoy your, your sexual partner. And I was like, okay, right on. Okay. Yes. I hadn't heard about that one before, but now I'm even more interested. Um, <laughs> well, Geraldine, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, um, which is clearly more important than ever since people are largely hunkered down, um, feeling a lot of loneliness, feeling a lot of fear and stress and anxiety. And I think what you said about the sound kind of holding a safe place for people to kind of stand in the pain, to stand in the loneliness. Um, I think that resonates with me a lot. And I think it'll resonate with a lot of other people. So thank you. And thank you for what you do. Mm. Mm. It's it's really my great joy, and it just keeps generating more and more and more joy when you hear people's responses and you hear how people's lives are transforming. It's um, I smile and say thank you, Dylan. You know, it was a big sacrifice that we're not together in this physical form, but you know, he just says, "Mom, we're you know, it's eternal." Yeah. It's eternal. Our love is eternal. And here we are, connected through sound. Yes, outside of the vacillations of space and time, but brought together by sound. It's beautiful. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Gerilyn Class. To learn more about Gerilyn, her work, and her upcoming interview series, The Sacred Science of Sound, visit GerilynClass.com. And as always, please email me at jeffk at onecommune.com with any questions or comments. I try to respond to every single missive. That's it from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Thank you.